0: I have a friend named Chuck, and Chuck is a huge Cleveland Indians fan. Chuck grew up in Cleveland, I grew up in Chicago. Chuck is a pastor, I am a pastor, and we listen to podcasts of each other's sermons. And uh, We got together for lunch uh, this uh, past week prior to our two teams meeting together in the final Game 7 of the World Series on Wednesday. And we thought it would be good just to agree between the two of us that uh, whoever won would just kind of downplay it uh, in the pulpit today, that the, uh, that the winner would not, uh, you know, talk about it, you know, the World Series here today. And so we made a pact that uh, no matter uh, who won the World Series? We wouldn't make a big deal about it today. Uh, we just downplay it because, after all, Chuck said nobody really cares about you know a game like this. And because the important thing is just to get to the topic of Jesus and Jesus love. And so, Chuck, I know you're listening uh, to me right now, and I just want you to know that I'm keeping true uh, to our pact. I decided not to talk about. Who won uh, the World Series? Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not gloating. No. Uh, I'm not going to make a big deal about the outcome uh, because uh, you know, just like you said, nobody really cares about uh, the outcome of this game anyway. And uh, you know, and really, I agree that it's time to just put this historic World Series in history and history books where it belongs, and uh, I'm ready to move on uh, to just now get to the real issue, which is Jesus and the topic of Jesus' love, Uh, and uh, that's what we want to do right now, and so what we want to do is uh, just get on with our our study, and uh, really it doesn't uh, have... I'm kidding. Jesus loves everybody, and the Cleveland Indians were amazing. And appropriately today, uh, we are concluding our series called Seeing the Unseen. Uh, And just like you can miss part of the story when you just listen to a uh, sermon, uh, you can miss a big part of God's story if you neglect the Dramatic word pictures of the book of Revelation. And I certainly hope that our study together uh, has motivated you to read the book of Revelation for yourself because Revelation, you know, is the closest thing we have in the Bible, to something written by Jesus himself. You know, the Gospels are not written by Jesus. Nothing in the New Testament is written by Jesus. But in Revelation, we have a book that is, in large part at least, dictated by Jesus, which is the second reason why Revelation is so full of these dramatic symbols and word pictures Uh, Earlier, I mentioned the first reason why Revelation is a vision full of uh, pictures of beasts and bulls and a woman sitting on seven hills. Why? Because Jesus is communicating a message in Revelation that includes the downfall, the coming downfall of Rome, which was a message that was so subversive that Jesus had to put it in code to protect those who carried this word or received his word. But there is a second reason that Revelation is full of symbolism and word pictures. And the reason is the author is Jesus. And if there's one thing we learn about Jesus in the gospels, it is that Jesus loves communicating in word pictures and stories, powerful stories. And that's what Revelation is, and this final letter of the seven letters from Jesus includes two of his most powerful images that Jesus gives us anywhere, as we hear in Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So there are two images in this letter that will change my life if I will just open up my heart to God's message in them. And the first image is where Jesus says, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. When Jesus says that he wants me to be hot toward him, we all know what this means. This is Jesus saying that he wants me to be passionate about knowing and growing in him, fervent about serving him, and enthusiastic about sharing my relationship with him with others. But what does it mean when Jesus says that he'd rather I be cold toward him rather than lukewarm? Uh, Does Jesus really mean that he would rather I be cold and distant and hostile toward him rather than in that non-committal middle? Understandably, Some people are uncomfortable with that concept. And so what they propose is something alternative where they say, well, what Jesus means is, I wish that you would either be like cold water that is refreshing or that you would be like hot water that has healing properties, but you're not refreshing or healing. You're just lukewarm. Although this may sound like a comfortable alternative uh, to us, I doubt that this is what Jesus means. Here's why. Do you see that little line where Jesus says, so be earnest and repent? This little phrase, be earnest, is a Greek word that means heat it up, heat it up. It's a Greek word, zelo, where we get our word zeal and zealous. So Jesus does not say, I call you to either heat up or cool down so you become like refreshing water. No, Jesus says, I want you to heat it up, which leaves us with the uncomfortable truth that this is true, that Jesus really does prefer that I be cold and hostile toward him Rather than being lukewarm and spiritually apathetic and ho hum and kind of in and kind of out in a relationship with him, Jesus says that when I'm in this non committal middle, it makes him sick. And that's what that word spit means in the Greek. It means that my being lukewarm makes Jesus want to gag, wretch, and just feel sick. And you may be asking, why? Why does me being lukewarm and kind of in, kind of out in a relationship with him make him sick? Here's why. Listen carefully. Jesus would rather I be cold and distant from him because he loves me. And my lukewarm self-deceptions make me unreachable. Jesus so wants a relationship with me that it makes him sick when he can't reach me. If I'm cold toward Jesus, Jesus can reach through that hostility and reveal himself. But if I am lukewarm toward Jesus, in many ways I am unreachable because I think I'm good with Jesus. I think I'm set with Jesus. I have all the Jesus I want. I am completely satisfied and I am completely deceived. It is this blindness of lukewarmness, the self deception of lukewarmness that makes it so dangerous and unreachable to be in that non committal middle. Jesus says uh, about this. Uh, this self-deception to the lukewarm and Laodicea, you say, I am rich and I don't need a thing, but you do not realize that you're pitiful and poor and blind and naked. You are so self-deceived that I can't reach you. You can't even see me. And the same goes for me. When I am in that noncommittal middle, my self-deception, the self-deception says... I'm rich. Spiritually, I don't need a thing. Where Jesus says, you are unfortunately evaluating your life based on the stuff you can see. Well, on the unseen level, you're poor and blind. You know, really, could there be any better description of uh, kind of the spiritual... Condition here in southern Connecticut. We have so much material stuff on the outside, but we have spiritual poverty on the inside. We have beautiful houses with no homes inside. We have frantic social schedules and not one deep friendship. We have turbocharged cars with lives that are going nowhere. We have jam-packed schedules and empty hearts. We're all about making money now while our souls are crying out to make a difference for eternity. And when Jesus sees this spiritual poverty in his people, it makes him sick. Jesus feels sick because there's so much I'm missing. There's so much that he's offering that I simply am not receiving. Not because I don't want it, because I can't even see it. But right now, Jesus wants to pull back the curtain in front of your eyes and my eyes to help me see myself as he sees me. Right now, Jesus wants to help me see the unseen things I miss in a red-hot relationship with him. And I think I know why Jesus puts this letter to lukewarm Laodicea last in the uh, seven letters. Uh, Jesus wants them to be able to compare themselves to the other churches and see what they are missing. Jesus says, Laodicea, because you are lukewarm, toward me. You're missing those open doors of spiritual adventure that I'm giving to my people in Philadelphia. You're missing the joy of the white stone identity known by my people in Pergamum. You're missing the power of my presence experienced by my persecuted people in the prisons of Smyrna. And you know what? I think Jesus is uh, saying the same thing to me. Just recently, Jesus did something like this comparison for me, Jesus compared my sometimes lackadaisical approach to a relationship with Him to uh, another one of His followers named Azam. Azam lives in Somalia, and Azam's father is a brutal pirate warlord, and so Azam became a pirate too, attacking ships and stealing cargo and murdering crews off the coast of Somalia. But meanwhile, at night, Azam was having these vivid dreams. Azam was having vivid dreams where he would see Jesus and he would hear Jesus calling his name and telling him how much he loved him and forgave him for everything related to being a pirate. Azam longed for information about Jesus, but there was little because in Somalia, anyone who expresses interest in Jesus or the Bible is open to execution without a trial. Eventually, Azam's desire to know Jesus became so overwhelming that he actually told his mother and his brother about his visions. Immediately, his brother beat him unconsciously. And so as he's laying there uh, on the the floor, his brother goes to tell his father. So Azam's mother revives Azam and packed his bag and says, "'Run away!' or your father will kill you. So Azam fled to a nearby village where he miraculously received a Bible and began to read about Jesus. But his warlord father had spies everywhere. And so soon, Azam received a package with a note uh, from his father warning him to come back or be killed like his mother. And the package included a photo of his mother being executed by two Of Azam's father's men. Azam saw and heard Jesus say, do not be afraid. Follow me. And in this fearlessness, uh, soon uh, after receiving this photo, Azam saw the two men in the photo who were killing his mother, saw those two men enter into his new village. They did not see Azam, but Azam saw them And instead of running away, he charged toward them. And when the men saw Azam coming toward them, they drew their knives, convinced that he was coming to kill them. But instead, Azam said, I'm not coming to fight you. I'm coming to forgive you. I forgive you. Your murderers, just like I am. But I have received forgiveness from Jesus, and I'm a new man. Jesus loves you. And you can be new as well if you just receive his forgiveness. And the two men fled out of the village, but not for long. A couple days later, they came back and laid their knives down before Azam and said, we can tell that you are a new man. And we can't stop thinking about how you just forgave us for killing your mother. We want this love. We want this forgiveness that you have found. And then they shocked Azam with their next words, words that explained so much. They said, these were the same words your mother said to us while we were killing her. She kept saying, I love Jesus, and I forgive you because he forgave me. And that day, those two killers committed to follow Jesus, and now the three of them, Azam And the two men who killed his mother are together engaging in the spiritual adventure of quietly but boldly telling their neighbors in Somalia about Jesus. And through these two killers turned Christ followers, Jesus shows me how he can reveal himself to people who are freezing cold and hostile toward him. Through Izzam, Jesus is showing me how he reveals himself to those who are red hot in a relationship with him. And through Izzam and Azam's mother and her two killers, Jesus shows me my lukewarmness that makes him sick. Through Izzam, Jesus shows me what I'm missing in him. Azam sees the unseen Jesus. He sees his presence in a way that makes him fearless in life. He sees Jesus in his forgiving love in a way that fills him with grace for people in his life. He sees Jesus leading him on a spiritual adventure that makes his life an exciting journey. And that's what I'm missing. And that's what Jesus wants me to ask him for. When I am lukewarm, I miss seeing Jesus, in a way that makes my ordinary life something extraordinary. But Jesus says, just ask me. Get from me gold that will make you truly rich and salve that will allow you to really see. Jesus is calling me away from the cheap and insignificant and temporary trinkets that I can see with my eyes. And Jesus says, ask me, and I'll give you the ability to see the unseen. And Jesus wants to open my eyes so I can see this unseen relationship with him that is so enriching that if I could just see it, I would immediately throw down all my comforts in life just so I could have it. And considering the richness of knowing Jesus, sacrificing a little of my me time, So I can grow in Jesus is the least that I can do. I mean, Azam gave up everything to know Jesus. The least I can do is give myself to a little daily dialogue with Jesus and to listen to his voice through his word. I mean, Azam forgave his mother's killers. The least I can do is extend grace to the people in my life who have hurt me. I mean, Azam follows Jesus with a death threat hanging over his head. The least I can do is get baptized. Can I just say a word about that today? I mean, uh, Jesus died on the cross for you, and then he's It says, after receiving my forgiveness, there's one thing I would like to ask you to do, and that is to get baptized, to declare to the world that you belong to me and that you follow me. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe me, look it up, and I need to talk to you straight. You know who you are. You're a follower of Jesus, and you need to be baptized. You need to stop with the lame excuses and the maybe next times and man up and woman up and just do this for Jesus. Because you want to be red hot. You don't want to be lukewarm. So right after we close in prayer, you're going to go into the Welcome Center, you're going to find the baptism table, talk to Pastor Dan, sign up for baptism, get the information, and come back and be baptized in just a few days on November 20th. And we're all going to celebrate. Celebrate. Jesus is calling you, he's calling me out of lukewarmness because he loves us so much. It makes him sick when we're unreachable and we're blind to him, which leads to the second image that is so powerful where Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you'll just open the door, I will come in and I'll eat a little meal with you. This is an image that is so profound. It's just a simple word picture, but Jesus communicates through it so much deep theological truth. For instance, Jesus knocks. What a profound reflection on how God respects my personal choice. Jesus knocks. He doesn't pound down the door. He doesn't kick it in and barge in. He knocks and waits. He knocks and waits. He knocks and waits. And then Jesus calls. (laughs) What a profound image of friendship. Because, you know, a stranger knocks at your door and stays silent. But a good friend knocks on your door and calls out, saying your name and saying something like, hey, it's me. And that's what Jesus does for you today. Jesus says, "It's it's me. Hey, it's me. I'm the one who loved you when no one else would. I'm the one who knows you better than anyone else. Hey, it's me. I'm the one who died for you, the one that you promised that you would follow. And then Jesus stays. When you open the door, Jesus doesn't come in to scold you. When Jesus comes in, he doesn't bring a lecture. He brings lunch. Notice that this word picture includes the idea that there's no end to this meal. Jesus stays as long as he's welcome. Jesus stays to the good times. Jesus stays to the hard times. Jesus stays to all the seasons of life. Jesus stays to the end. And in fact, in this word picture, Jesus sits down for a meal, that lasts into eternity because Jesus concludes the metaphor by saying, to the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That's an image of a very big throne with room enough for you and Jesus to sit side by side and room enough for me and for anyone who will just open the door and see Jesus.